What's up, Gator Nation? Good morning. Happy Wednesday. And shout out to the fact that it is finally a Wednesday that brings us three days away from Gator football. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. As usual, I am joined by an All Kinds of Weather founder, Neil Shulman, who you can follow at All Kinds Weather, as well as contributor Casey Hampton, who you can follow at champton85. And today, we're joined by Zach Goodall, a Florida beat writer for Sports Illustrated. Zach, thanks for coming on. How's everything going for you today? Dustin, hey everyone. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk up some Gators football. Uh, I'd say I'm just, ex- uh, just as excited as you are, even without being a fan and just coming from a reporter perspective to finally have some Gators football back, finally have something to talk about after a couple of weeks off. Yeah, for Absolutely. sure, man. It's, uh, it's been a long, long time since we've seen Gator football. <laughs> I don't think we've ever actually had a break this long between games that's not including a bowl game or a full off season. So this is definitely an unusual circumstance to say the least. Before we get going, we have to talk about the fact that Florida has some old school blue helmets that they've unveiled for this week's game against Missouri. Uh, I know you said you're looking at things more from a reporter perspective and not as a fan, but that actually means you're a bit unbiased here. So I wanted to get your thoughts as to what you thought about the blue helmets on top of the throwbacks that we saw last year. You know, I, I'm glad you asked me that. No one's really asked me about UF's uniform since I've joined the beat. I think the helmets are awesome. <laughs> and I'm also, I know that it's kind of up in the air with a lot of people, but I do want to put this on the record that I am all for the black uniform idea. No, not, you know, not as an every, not a couple games a year, not maybe even a regular thing, but maybe once in a blue moon, like just have something like that that maybe the recruits will like. and. You know, just the modern sleek black look that a lot of teams have adopted is something that they could have some fun with. And they, they had fun with this helmet as well. Uh, I understand that the stripe is something that they kind of experimented with. And I think it's a super sleek look. I think it's going to look great under the lights, especially. Uh, I thought they nailed it. I'd be down to do a black uniform if you could sort of combine it with a take two of the alligator skin uniforms because we all know that very few people like the way those came out i thought it was a good idea it just didn't look good but i'd be willing to see them try again so to speak i think they do have creative people in there and i'd be down to see what they came up with in a second attempt um but so i think if you're going to do a throwback or a special uniform you've got to knock it out of the park and i think florida did that i think fans have been clamoring for this for a long time and now they finally got a blue helmet just uh just my thoughts on that casey dustin what do you think of the blue helmets before you get there i I do just want to let you guys know from at least the email that they hit us with and maybe they'll change it but um what they let us know today is they're going to be wearing white pants on saturday Uh, it'll have the orange and blue stripe down the sides okay fair enough Uh, the only thing that would make this better we're going to make this truly a, a throwback thing. And Neil and I are diametrically opposed. Oh, to my this. God. I know what he's going to say. Go ahead. Opposed to this. I would love to see the F back at midfield, even if it's just for a game. The old F that was at midfield. If you're going to do a throwback game or put the Fighting Albert logo down there, not with the Gator head, but like either the Fighting Albert logo, the old UF logo um, that would, they, people call it the Pell logo. Um, you know, you guys can see it since we're on the, uh, since we're on a call here, but 
Um, mm. Either that logo, or if you were to put the Fighting Albert logo, this one, at midfield, or just a plain old Varsity F, I would be totally fine with it. But when was the last time they had the Varsity F? If you guys, uh, two thousand eleven. Yep. Yep. That looked good. Uh, no, no, Neil, wasn't it twenty ten? Because when Muschamp came, that's where they put the Gatorhead down. Wasn't no, it, it was twenty twelve. There was okay. one year of the Block F. They had weird end zones for a year in twenty eleven. It was the same Florida and Gators script they used from two thousand eight to two thousand ten, but they decapitalized the F and they didn't wind up centering it. So it just looked like lowercase f in Florida and, and G in the Gators. And it just didn't look right. It just looked kind of off. But the block F was there um, until 2012 when they got rid of that and let the Gators I would just love to see, like, and put the script Gators in the end zone. That Okay, that's a different argument. I'd be down for that. If you're going to go all the way with a throwback, that's how you do it. But that's just my opinion. All right, so we got Casey's take. We got Zach's take. God, I feel like I'm taking over Dustin's role here. I'm the one facilitating conversations and asking the questions. Uh, Dustin, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, and so for for those of you that don't know, my day job is actually a graphic designer. I do professional graphic design. And so when I found out about the uniform choice in the blue helmets, I was completely ecstatic now honestly i'm not a super huge fan of when the the helmet is the same color as the jersey um so all personal tastes aside i'm super excited for how the how the gators are gonna rock that uh that throwback jersey i especially love the very simple f emblem the white f emblem on the helmet i believe that really that's really going to uh, look phenomenal. The jerseys look great. I, it's sad to hear that we're, we're probably not going to see a, a blue pant with the, with the blue jersey and the blue helmet, but it's all good. Um, I could probably say a ton more and break it down a little bit more, but I know that we have some more questions. So, well, um, I'm, I was going to say the it. last thing I will say is that Florida has trotted onto the field with one look and then gone back into the locker room after warmups and then come back out for the game with something else. They did that against Vandy in 2015. They, that was the day they unveiled their white helmets. They came out against Vanderbilt with orange helmets on top of their orange jerseys. And then they switched them up inside the locker room, but you know, we'll see. Could be, um, could be something they're just waiting until the very last nanosecond to unveil, but um, that'd be great with the blue pants. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be a good look. But anyway, before we go any further, quick shout out to our partners and our sponsors. As a reminder, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We have been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020, and we are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience to this year. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. 
If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. I don't think there is a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work. And they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And with that said, let's get back into our main discussion and talk Gator football. And I think with Zach, the conversation has to start with talking about the reason why Dan Mullen has made waves these past few weeks. Now, I think we on this show have beaten his pack the swamp comments to death. We've been pretty clear about our thoughts on that, but I did want to ask you about the way Mullen has acted since then. You're on the Florida beat. You're on those Zoom calls with him. Have you noticed a change in his demeanor since when he... A, made the comments, and B, got diagnosed with COVID? Um, not necessarily. I don't want to make him out as being some guy that is like an anti-vaxxer or an anti-COVID believer or something like that for his comments about packing the swamp. I do think they were emotional. I was disappointed that it took him so long to walk them back the way he did, but I don't think he was ill-intentioned. I, you know, I think he was just not being the wisest he's ever been in saying stuff like that. Um, so he's never been someone that's come out and, you know, just said straight up, yeah, this is fake. I don't care. Like my kids are going to practice anyway. I didn't like the fact that they practiced while they had the idea that there was a potential outbreak coming. But besides that, please tell me if you can point to something where Mullen, Strickland, UF as a whole have mishandled what they've done with their athletic program during the COVID days. So as a whole, you know, we can be nitpicky, especially when it's coming to talking about guys' lives, you know, their health and safety being at risk. But Besides a couple of things and the emotional comments that he made, I don't want to say that Dan's like outright done a bad job at handling this because again, like Strickland said, they had however many cases to where it came out to almost one per week in a 10 or 11 week stretch. So at the end of the day, I still think they've done a good job and Dan's done a good job within his role. Fair enough. Yeah. He he definitely has come off as more intelligent before in his life than he came off with those comments. I think that's probably the kindest way to put that. But again, we'll leave that in the past. He did it. It's over. It happened. Let's move on. And having discussed those two pieces of off-field news with the jerseys and those comments, let's move to the on-field part of our conversation. Because as interested as I am to see what those jerseys look like under the lights, I'm significantly more interested to see what the guys wearing the jerseys look like after a three-week off period. It's been a year unlike any other, say the least, through three games at the very least. Um, an off-season unlike any other, no spring practice for the first time ever, a 10-game SEC-only schedule for the first time ever. Don't get those cupcakes to really put a beating on, like 59-3 to three or whatever to feel good about. Hey, and then an early loss to Texas A&M. What? We play Vandy this year. I mean, that's as close to a cupcake as you're going to get. Well, not not in the first two games, though. I'm saying that's usually true. the year starts off with a beating of someone. Like uh, in, in 2019, last year, we played a cupcake in our second game of the year. 
45 nothing win over UT Martin two years ago to open up against Charleston Southern, beat them 53-6. You don't get that this year. You don't get that game to work some kinks out. You're just thrown right into the fire. And so then there's a loss to Texas A&M that I think was more irritating than damaging. Florida still controls its destiny to Atlanta, still controls its destiny to the CFP and to a national title. But I think the way – I think it's the way that Florida looked that has a lot of eyebrows being raised right now. The offense looks like one of the best in the country, if not the best. The defense, kind of the inverse, maybe a little harder to argue that Florida's defense is as bad as North Texas and Southern Miss because of the talent gap. But we're definitely seeing a seesaw effect in terms of one unit heavily weighing the other down. I think most fans are hoping for improvement on the defensive side of the ball, and we'll get to that in a second. But before we look forward and start to project some changes, let's discuss what we've seen so far. So strictly based on what you've seen in the first three games, for both the offense and the defense, where do you think Florida stands at the moment relative to where they ultimately want to be and within the SEC and the national pictures? Well, you know, my biggest thing with when we talk to Dan is when he gives a breakdown of the team and we'll ask questions from different angles. You know, what do you want to see from the offense? What could the defense stand to improve upon? Or questions of that nature. Uh, and he'll always point towards the offense in some way, shape, or form. He wants to see, you know, he hasn't used the word perfect football, but he wants to see perfect football. He doesn't want to see any near or turnovers or near turnovers. He doesn't want to see a turnover on downs. He doesn't want to see drive stalling. He, he wants them to score on every drive. You know, being first in the nation, scoring on 70% of their drives. I don't know where that stat's updated to now, but last week that's where it was for Florida. I don't know if that's necessarily reasonable. They are truly one of the most dynamic, if not the most dynamic offense in the nation. They can run at will if they choose to. They just don't really choose to enough. But they can really do whatever they'd like to do with their offense, I feel like. And in which case, at this point, you know, where they they are in comparison to where they want to be is just behind. They can't rely on their defense like they've been known to do for years. I mean – even though the last year's defense wasn't perfect, and even before I started covering this team, I know Todd Grantham's previous defense wasn't perfect, although it had good playmakers. It's just it's definitely behind even compared to years past, and you'd love to see them catch up. I know that you think that maybe by the end of the year it could certainly be better, and I agree with you there. But having the setback of you know going three weeks in between games, two weeks in between football is definitely not going to help them with that. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was going to get at next because I think that's both blessing and curse personally. Uh, I think there are a lot of guys on the team that are kind of banged up one way or another. There's some bruises that may need time to heal. Um, they'll, get a, you know, they'll get a full week of practice this week. So it's not like they're just getting thrown into the fire after having done zero football-related activity for the span of three weeks. But I was wondering what, if you thought this, would, this layoff would help or hurt more, and I guess we kind of have our answer. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They're, they say they're in football shape, and I don't expect them to be far out of it, if they are at all, really. Um, and they were able to do team meetings and stuff. They are going to be able to practice. You know, A lot of guys will probably be able to get back to full practice pretty quickly. Some guys are going to have to get reacclimated, and how that affects the strengths of the team is yet to be determined. We won't know until Saturday right before kickoff because that's just how Dan Mullen operates things. 
but that could be, you know, it could end up being a big issue from a mix of losing guys, but as well as, you know, Mullen has also said it along the way. He has seen improvements from week one to week two to week three within the defense. We might not see it that much, but he's seen it. And, you know, I can see it in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not against a and but I could see it from week one to week two. I just think that maybe having that time off where you were building a little bit of something defensively to where maybe you'd be able to keep shaking off rust and getting things corrected within the flow of a consistent game week it, it might just take even a little bit of time for them to get back into the flow of things once they kick off again and they're back on the field. You know, my main concern with this team is that we end up in this rut that we've been in before and the attitude of, well, we can only get better. I mean, how many times did we hear that during Will Muschamp? How many times did we hear that or during Jim McElwain? That was his catchphrase. It's, it's you know, it's on – me and we'll get better we'll improve and i'm sorry i just i i I, i'm never going to be a gator fan that puts on orange and blue glasses and says oh well it's just bound to get better you know they'll 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 figure it out they'll get it together what in the first three games has demonstrated that they that they're going to get it together i don't see anything we're going to assume something that i think is fair to assume i'm going to assume it cannot get much worse than what we saw at 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 a and and if we do we're in big trouble um but i think Another thing it's safe to assume is that Todd Grantham is not getting fired in season as much as I want him to be personally. Um, I know a lot of fans are clamoring for that, and, and Grantham's name is certainly a buzzword these days. And I think we'd, we can agree that's not going to happen. So with that in mind, what improvements and adjustments are you looking for out of this defense moving forward? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, obviously we've been able to throw a lot of blame everywhere. For all three levels of the defense, I think so much comes from within your play in the trenches. And with that, you know, they're running a lot of fronts where they're only got two or maybe three down linemen and the third down lineman's a buck rusher. You got two buck rushers on the field, undersized, not undersized, but weak side defensive ends, so smaller guys. It's just, you know, how can you stop the run? How can you set the edge consistently with that type of you know, meat on the edges, really? especially when you're interior, you don't have much depth there without Kyrie Campbell. TJ Slayton can be a good player, but the issue is he is a big guy. He's not a three down player. I don't think he ever will be. Uh, And they're playing him a good bit. And you can see, you know, by the third quarter, especially when it got really hot there in college station, he, Zach Carter at times, they just got wiped out when they're not using their depth. They're not using in a year where they can use more freshmen. I understand that you're going to deal with growing pains, but if you want TJ Slayton to be effective in the fourth quarter, you got to start testing your depth more throughout the game because otherwise teams will consistently run on you. And we saw Missouri with a big run, uh, the 21 play drive against uh, Kentucky where they will just run the ball and control the clock. You know, you want TJ Slayton and Zach Carter to be fresh on those types of drives. So if you can manage a way to get your freshmen a bit more involved and keep your guys steady and ready and fresh throughout the game, like they've prided themselves on, especially last year, wide receiver and on the defensive line even. We've seen where they rely on rotations in a really smart way. If they could find a way to do that with some of their freshmen, I think we could see improvements just from keeping guys available and on the field. Well, we've definitely seen, I think, some players not necessarily play up to the level that 
a lot of fans had hoped that they were going to play up to, especially in the secondary, but also in the front seven too. Um, I, I think I think Marco Wilson has taken a beating from the fan base. I think that there have been some guys on the front line that have not necessarily lived up to some hype. I think Zach Carter has been okay. He's been fine. He hasn't been the, the, the game breaker that I think a lot of people were expecting him to be this season. So, um, but with this now double bye week, back to back bye weeks, and then the guys come back. Who do you think is going to take a leap forward and be the closest thing to a game breaker, or just outright be a game breaker for the Gators the rest of the way? I think Carter is a good candidate. I think he's been a pretty good player on a pretty bad defensive line, if that makes sense. And I don't, I don't want to call him a game breaker because I mean his box score says it. He's got 1.5 sacks, three tackles for loss. It's Good production, not anything that'll blow you away. But he's a guy that has been able to generate pressure and has been able to create for guys around him when they have been able to tally sacks. Like, I I was going and writing a story after week two, and I stumbled across the SEC team sack rankings, and I was blown away to think Florida was number two after week two. And then I realized Zach Carter had a hand in half of them, even though he wasn't necessarily the guy that came up with the sack. So I think if the play on the defensive line, if they can do a lot more, you know, traditional three down linemen, two standing guys, where they can get creative with their fronts and where they can be a bit more energized and do a better job against the run, I think Carter can end up being a more dependable player, uh, a guy that can consistently do more things. as a bigger bodied, lengthy, relatively explosive interior lineman, or when you've got him out on the edge either way. Uh, the same thing can be said about Ventrell Miller. It, it, he's playing really good football in a position group that's not playing that well because you rotate a couple guys next to him. They don't really get this a feel for his chemistry and what he's trying to do and what they're trying to do on the field. And we've seen the struggles with Bernie. We've seen struggles with, you know, angling towards tackles with Diabate. Uh, James Houston's been hit or miss, but, you know, we did love to see that sack that he had in week two when he came back. So there is a role for him in the defense. But Ventrell's been, for the most part, the consistent guy of the group. And it's just – it seems that way across the roster. You've got one, maybe two guys that are doing a good job somewhere, and the rest of the group's a letdown, and you don't really get to give them that much credit because as a whole the unit's underperforming. And I'll follow up with a question. Who do you see as the MVP for the Gator defense? Be If it's Zach Carter, you know, you can just say Zach Carter. You don't need to go into what you were saying. But who do you think is the MVP? And who do you think is the biggest liability on this defense? Hmm. Oh, you're baiting him there. Right. But that's, th- that's our job. <laughs> it is. I think the MVP has been Kyrie Elam. Yeah. Agreed. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I probably didn't get enough into the secondary. I did want to talk about Carter. I'm just a big believer in his game. Um, Elam, you know, there was the double move uh, in week one on the deep uh, the deep play to whatever his name is. I'm blanking on it. It was uh, the Drummond, other Ontario Drummond. Yes, thank yeah. you. Okay. Uh, Kyer Elam is not the type of guy that is going to consistently win against double moves. That's just not the type of corner he is. Uh, otherwise he's consistently making plays on the ball. He might have one missed tackle a game, but when he has those missed tackles, chances are he's redirected the run back inside to where guys can come and surround the ball. Uh, I do think he's probably been the most dependable guy. It's the same story where he doesn't get his credit because he's not 
they're not forcing turnovers. They can just as easily go and pick on the guy that two guys really that are the biggest liabilities. I'll give you the answer with two being Marco Wilson or being Donovan Steiner. I mean, one way or another quarterbacks can have their fun kind of going at those guys right now. And it takes away from what we've seen from Kyer Elam, or maybe what we've seen on occasion from Jadon Hill on the other side. Uh, especially when you can go over the top of the safety who likes to get caught looking in the backfield and he's playing to your side. It's not, it's not going to help your game that much. What's so frustrating with Steiner is that he's got potential. The potential is there. We've seen it. We saw it against Mississippi state in 2018. We saw it against Auburn in 2019 that he can make a play. He can do it. I'm just so shocked on how much Marco Wilson has regressed this year. I mean, that just blows my mind how much he has regressed. I have to wonder if he's not fully healthy. I know, you know, it's it's been a couple of years since the ACL. I wonder if there's some some sort of setback with it or maybe there's some other kind of injury that he's dealing with that he's not telling us about because we saw in 2017, we lose to Tennessee without him. He saved us that day with that PBU with the goal line because that forced Tennessee to kick a tying field goal instead of going ahead with what? 40 seconds to go 30 seconds to go so we know what he's capable of i'm i'm wondering if he's just not the same player anymore or if he's dealing with something or i don't know but it, it just doesn't seem like this is the guy that we got in 2017 um it's, it's steiner is so frustrating because you look at i i can't think of a gator defensive player who i can look at to say that guy single-handedly lost us a game and i can come up with two off the top of my head and that guy single-handedly won us a game Right. No, no. It, when he's there when it counts. And then other times it's like paging Donovan Steiner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I think that's, I think that's exactly the issue though, is that I think Steiner is certainly a player that's capable of coming up and making plays, especially when he's coming downhill and he's keeping things ahead of him. But I don't think he has the processing speed on a three down basis, especially as he's getting tested deep to really recognize exactly the route combinations that are coming his way you know, it happens in the blink of an eye, especially when you're going maybe to a three receiver side where they're running a unique combination of three routes and suddenly he's got to be responsible for one, maybe two different guys to his side. And you can see it where he gets his eyes just kind of trapped in the backfield trying to see where the quarterback's going when he's playing zone. And maybe he's a better man guy when he's playing underneath, when they're running cover threes uh, with a guy over top or something like that. And he's able to come in and play underneath zones or, or man underneath because he's athletic and can play well with things in front of him. But that's always going to be a killer for a defense. If you have a safety playing in a deep zone where he just doesn't recognize the things that are going on. So we've talked about defense ad nauseum. It's time to discuss offense. And it's a really good one to say the least. Although the last time we saw it out there on the field, Malik Davis fumbled the ball away. So there's absolutely no doubt that this offense is chomping at the bit to get out there. I've got a sort of three-pronged question to pose to you all, especially Zach. Given what you've seen so far, what have you liked out of our offense? Is there anything you'd like to see improve on the offense? And what are you expecting out of the offense the rest of the way this season. All right. So what I've liked so far out of the offense is extremely obvious. It's that they can move the ball at will. 
like I said before, they can do it through the passing game. I think they can do it in the run game if they settled more on what exactly they wanted to do within the run game. I think they could very easily move it as they please. With that being said, I guess I should say that I really like the passing offense, the idea that they can pretty much score on almost any drive just by going through the air. You know, you can't, you, you can say that about Trevor Lawrence. You might be able to say that about Justin Fields. At the end of the day, you really can't say that about many college quarterbacks in general, year in and year out. And you certainly can't say that about a Florida quarterback in a long time. And, you know, Kyle Trask may not ever be known as the most dynamic quarterback in Florida history when you compare him to a guy like Tim Tebow who could really do it all. But when you've got that level of consistency and level of poise at quarterback where you know that you really are a threat to go and score anytime you touch the ball as long as he's behind center, that's you can't ask for much more than that. So that's, that's really what I like. Um, what I'd like to see more out of would definitely be the run game. Like I said, they can do it. I'm a big believer in Damian Pierce. Since I got here right before his sophomore season, I went back and watched his freshman year, and I really liked what I saw. I thought that his game was almost an upgraded version as to what Jordan Scarlett brought to the offense. And if they balanced him out a little bit more as a sophomore with Michael P. Ryan in terms of carries, I think they could have had a lot better of a running game just because he generated so much more after contact than what he was able to get before contact. I think it was almost triple the amount of yardage when it was all said and done on average, according to PFF, but I could be mistaken. It's somewhere around there. Just when it's all said and done, you know that he's a guy that will probably churn out four yards for you on a given play. And it's much more likely that it'll end up being more because he's not going down at first contact. He's probably not going down at second contact. It's taken a couple of guys. He's gotten faster. He's gotten more agile over time. He's just a guy that I think is a threat with the ball in his hands as long as he's getting it via handoffs. Not as much a receiver, but as a first and second down guy, I think he's the guy that you want to get the ball to. I'm expecting a change on the offensive line at some point. I think that once Ethan White's healthy, you got to get it back in there. It's been a good unit. It's been an improved unit. I think it's been much better all around. But Gene DeLance has allowed 11 pressures in three games, according to PFF. Uh, three other starters, uh, Heggie, Forsyth, and Garage have all allowed three, one per game. Stort Reese is at like six or seven, so okay. And I think he's been better than PFF grades him out in the first place. But you know that even though it's improved, it's still got a bit of a weak spot. Gene DeLance is maybe playing a bit better than he was last year, but I don't think he's playing well enough to hold Ethan White off from coming back in and cementing himself when he's fully healthy because he was certainly on pace to be a starter. I was wondering what you thought of uh, – I mean, I, I hate to take up time by, by just going to ask you about one play, but there was a play against South Carolina um, all the way back on October 3rd, which feels like four years ago now, but where he just cleared a guy out of the way and drove him back like 15 yards or so, like Michael Orr in the blind side, and sort of cleared a lane for Damian Pierce to walk in. I thought, like, that's – like, you know, good for you. Good for you, Delance. Like you, you've taken a lot of flack from the fan base. Here you are with a Michael Orr blindside blocker. You're just walking the guy back. It feels like he wants something out there. So I know is that, 
was that on the touchdown? Did he pull across? Yes, yes, it yes, was, it was right. a pull block. It was that's a pull right. block where he came from the right side over to the left and just walked the guy backwards some 10, 15 yards. There was that, and then against Ole Miss on the first drive, there was a block where I think Kyle kept it and got a couple yards to inch closer to the goal line, and Gene had a block across the middle of the field, like working towards the interior, where he drove a guy back another six or seven. So I see it more like last year as a pass protection issue. But I'm with you. I mean, for a guy that has gotten so much flack, and I'm, I don't ever want to throw a guy under the bus like that. I'll try and talk about him objectively, but I don't want to be over the top. And for the stuff he's gotten, to have a play game where he can pat himself on the back, good for him. Well, I mean, the larger point was that should something happen down the stretch, like, I mean, injuries happen. That's, that's football. That's the way it works. And should the injury bug bite the Gator offensive line, you have a piece there that – you could do a lot worse than with someone like him. But I mean, as the line as a whole, I don't know. It, it comes off to me like it's hit or miss and then neutral. Like usually when you say hit or miss, you're implying an, a unit's great or it could be awful. And the line to me has like, it feels like it has three modes. It feels like it can be great in certain plays or drives. It can be just man and it can be awful. I'm wondering what you're expecting to see out of the line of those three the rest of the way, which, which offensive line are we going to get in the next seven games? I think for the most part, it'll be good to great. I think again, the, what makes this offense go right now is how well they're passing the ball. And I think even going back to last year, last year was not a good run blocking unit, but I thought it was honestly a fine two good pass protecting unit and returning guys, especially like you said, in Gene, even if he becomes the sixth offensive lineman, he's what a redshirt junior or a redshirt senior. Like, yeah, he's like plenty, plenty of experience. So you're right. You can do way worse than that. And having experienced pass protectors on a line where, you know, your offense is bread and butter is moving at will through the air. Again, you could do a lot worse. I think that it'll end up being fine if they need to just keep depending on the pass game as much as I do want to see them use Damian Pierce in the run game. They could just keep going with the pass and be fine. So, I want to talk specifically about Missouri. The line that came out initially was 15 points for Florida. And I think as of uh, right now, as of the recording, uh, we're down to 13. What do you think that line says about either Florida or Missouri? Are we undervaluing Missouri? Are we overvaluing Florida, something else, both? What, what do you think about that? I think you could be undervaluing Missouri. I, Vegas and just about everyone will respect Florida's offense as the year goes on. They know that if you're a good team, it'll probably be a shootout. If you're a bad team, you're probably going to get boat raced. With that being said, you know, Missouri, we've seen two different offenses over the past two weeks, and both times they've worked out. You know, rushing 62 times for 220 yards, 3.5 yards per carry is, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts, especially if you're on the losing end of that production. At the same time, the week before against LSU and against a very suspect secondary, like Florida is used to having at this point, Connor Bazalik in his kind of breakthrough game, and you might need to correct me if I pronounce that wrong, comes out and throws for 406 yards and four touchdowns. So he was efficient this past week. He didn't blow you away whatsoever, but he completed 70% of his passes. You don't know what version of that you're going to get against a Florida defense that is definitely not playing as well as the Kentucky defense has this year. But either way, you know, that might show that Vegas is starting to respect Missouri a little bit more as that gap kind of narrows 
uh, on the spread at least. Florida has been very iffy against the spread under Mullen. They obviously win a lot more games than they lose, as evidenced by Mullen's pretty gaudy record as a Florida head coach. But against the spread, they're hit or miss. And you take a team like Missouri, who can move the ball on you, and take a team like Florida, who lets teams move the ball on them, and you figure they don't have a ton of margin for error. So I'm sure you've started your process of looking at Missouri tape by now. Um, you're, you know, you're more familiar with them than the average Florida fan. So what have you seen from them that you think should worry Gator fans the most? Like I said, the way that they can attack you in two different ways offensively, both have proven to be ways that could really bother Todd Grantham. You know, we all kind of watched in awe as Missouri ran a 21-play drive and didn't score against Kentucky. But, you know, what was the most noticeable thing about that drive, watching it from a Florida perspective? It was that it was, what, five of six conversion downs were either third or fourth were converted. That's that's kind of nightmarish to think about. It's Whether it's Bezalik that comes out and – plays really well, or it's Larry Roundtree who feels like it's been 84 years that he's been at Missouri. Guy that is a, is a decent back, but he's never going to come out and just, you know, churn away five or six yards per carry on you at this point. It is going yeah, to tend to be against more, maybe if it's against Florida, but it feels like it's going to be 3.5 yards per rush, four yards per rush, maybe on average at this point as his career has gone on. Um, but even if they can just consistently do that and convert on key doubts, that's enough to stay competitive with Florida at this point. Well, and I think you made a good point You know about it feels like he's been there forever. And I think he finally has an offense that respects his ability on the ground. Um, and something else that he can do, because I was there in 2018 when they came into the swamp and just shellacked Florida. So was I. That was after, after the Georgia game that year. He can catch balls too. He's not. He, he is a he is a catch and run um, back that you don't necessarily see a lot of in the SEC. You know, we were lucky to have Lamichael P. Ryan that could do that. But specifically with Mizzou, Roundtree, especially, he gashed us with jet sweeps. I mean, they just did jet sweeps all day that day. And Roundtree and Albert. Oh, I, I, I could never pronounce his last name. Um, but oh, that makes two of us. Yeah, he <laughs> he just, I mean, Roundtree just abused us that day. And, you know, last year, it was not a runaway. That game was not a blowout. That game was not a runaway. Um, Florida beat them. But, you know, they've got a new confidence. They've got a new feeling up there. Um, what do you think of the job that Eli Drinkwitz has done up there so far? Exactly. So far, I mean, I think so far so good, especially with what he's been able to do with the young quarterback so far. I don't know if you can really consider LSU to be that impressive of a win at this point, just from sure. what's been happening with them this year. But then again, you know, they're as of last week, at least they had an offense that was averaging more yards per game than Florida was. So for Missouri, for especially for a first year uh, head coach in the SEC to come in and have a young quarterback that he's going to try and build around now. And it is nice to have the veteran leadership of a guy that has been there forever in Larry Roundtree uh, and, and some other guys to build around in your first year as the head coach. I think he's done a solid job and, you know, maybe this could be the upcoming week that tells them a lot about exactly what they have in a head coach 
he's being given a game where, you know, where Florida has been off for a couple of weeks that I don't even know if I necessarily want to call it a trap game because the circumstances are almost unfortunate for Florida. But it could be a real uh, statement game for Drinkwitz at this point if he were to come into the swamp and do something big. And it's not like Missouri hasn't done this before. I mean, they, right. they, they are not intimidated. They have proven under three different head coaches now. You know, you forget about um, who was the guy? Gary, Pink- Gary Pinkle. Gary yeah. Pinkle, Barry Odom, and I, I don't think Drinkwitz. You know, you've got players from all those teams that have come into the swamp at night during the day when Florida's ranked, when we're coming off. And they, do, they are not intimidated by the swamp. So all of the fans over Twitter this week that, oh, my God, I can't wait to watch a stomp Mizzou. When has that happened? When have we stomped well, Mizzou? It's weird. We Florida and Missouri is a weird series in that the teams seem to take some sort of sadistic delight in just walloping each other for eight quarters at a time. Like th- the first time they played since they joined the SEC was 14-7 in the swamp in 2012. Every single game since then has been decided by three scores or more. Think about that. Every single game was three scores. There's 36-17 in 2013. 2014 was the disaster of a game, which 42-13, it shouldn't have been that close. Don't, don't bring me back to that night. No, don't. Okay, don't. well, it, it, it got good after that. It got good after that. <laughs> okay, we had some good memories, though. 2015, we beat them 21-3. Uh, Jalen Tabor with a pick six, and Greer threw a couple touchdown passes. 2016, we stomped them 40-14. to And then 2017, it was back to them. They beat us 45-16 in Columbia, a game Casey was at. Wolf. And, and then 2018, a game that Casey and I were both at. He actually gave me a ride from Jacksonville to Gainesville for that one. Can't believe I paid money for that. Um, and they beat us by three scores, 38-7. You owe me gas money, pal. Yeah, well, you, I didn't, I didn't count on getting my watching the Gators get their heads beaten in that day. So I'm, I consider myself coming out in the red enough on that day. But the point is, these teams don't really play close games. For one reason or another, one team just loves to destroy the other one. But it, it doesn't feel like that when Florida wins. That I, I know you can tell me, but it just does. It feels like Florida slogs through and they'll get some late touchdown that makes it that. They don't. I feel like it's not. And Zach, I, I, I don't know if you're agreeing with Neil or me on this, but it feels like Florida struggles to get by Missouri. Even when they, 2016 was the only time that they did not struggle to get by Missouri. In my opinion. Well, again, I think it's my lack of a past covering Florida. I I couldn't tell you as much about the series history. I could tell you last year. I feel the exact same way you did. I felt like it took some time. Now, granted, that was a pretty freezing cold game. Uh, So especially on an away environment like that, I could see where it would be, you know, a decent bit of a struggle. And then this week there's going to be more struggles as they try and shake off Russ. So it could end up being the same story. But otherwise, I, I don't know. I hate, it's just, to, yeah, I hate to cop out. But. Well, so you're talking about shaking off the rust, and I think that nails where this team is right now. But there's also the news that Florida's had six new positive COVID tests come in this week. So, yes, it is a matter of shaking off the rust, absolutely. But also dealing with the additional adversity of being shorthanded. Although when I say that, I also think it's – probably journalistically responsible to add that defensive lineman Kyrie Campbell tweeted out on Monday night that it's good to be back, which doesn't exactly leave much to the interpretation. And if it means what I think is reasonable to assume, it means Florida's defense will get a key reinforcement up front. 
But anyway, back to Mizzou. You talked about how they have a versatile offense that can operate in different ways with different game plans depending on its opposition and the defensive personnel it faces. And Florida has a defense that so far has proven to be very susceptible to get beaten by both the run and the pass. So with both of those things in mind, what do you think the game plan is from Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou this week? Well, I would th- – I would certainly expect them to follow the same game plan that other teams have um, have used against Florida because it was successful last week against Kentucky, where they can try and control the clock for what feels like ungodly amounts of time, just because that's what Florida's susceptible to at this point. It, it, it's what a South Carolina offense led by Colin Hill was able to succeed with against the Gators. So I think that's what they're going to try and do. Um, I think that, We'll see Larry Roundtree come out in the second half, uh, and they'll they'll try and run the ball a lot in the second half because that's been the formula of what's worked against Florida at this point. We saw it with Texas A&M where Isaiah Spiller was able to come in, and Isaiah Smith coming even just to compliment him. Uh, that's something, and that's something that we've seen teams do. They can have complementary running back systems where they just come in and they control the game at that point. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what to expect for Connor Bazalik just because while Florida's secondary has struggled this year, it is a, still a pretty talented one in terms of what they've got on their roster. So maybe he'll be able to come in and get off to a hot start where they can depend on the run game early. If he's not able to, then that's a great sign for Florida. Um, but if he is able to, then at that point in the second half, you really do worry about when they make that transition offensively to the run game. So I've got one final question for Zach before we get to our show's wrap-up segment, and it concerns Kyle Trask. For the most part, we've been extremely high on him on this show, and I think he's posted stats to justify that. and I think he's posted game film that justifies that. But while our pod's mantra is to keep it respectful but keep it real – we do admit we're Gator fans. So I did want to ask you as somebody who is completely unbiased as you're a beat reporter and not a fan about Trask. I, I know you're on social media. I know you've seen takes from various fans about how he's a Heisman candidate, the best QB we've had since Tebow and so on. As somebody with no emotional attachment and no bias whatsoever, what do you think of Trask? Just, just how good do you think he is? What kind of growth have you seen, and do you think that the fans' hype is justified? I agree. Uh, I said it after week one. I didn't get much blowback for it. I got a little bit more texts and stuff, but I said it then. I thought he looked like a Heisman candidate, and I think he's maintained that. You know, he's not come out firing the way he did against Ole Miss since then, but he's still been – when it's all said and done, the reason that to stay in games is because of how successful Kyle Trask has been and how well he's played. His poise pre-snap, understanding where he can go with the ball and how things will be set up. Uh, and then you start to see the growth post-snap, his mobility within the pocket uh, to extend plays, not necessarily as a rusher, but on occasional rollouts or even just stepping up and doing things that we didn't really see last year. He's made the growth that the people with realistic expectations for his game and understood that Brian Johnson was being sarcastic when he called him Lamar Jackson, the people with the realistic expectations as to the growth they wanted to see, I think they've probably seen it and honestly probably been blown away with what they've seen this year. Cause I do think 
the sky's the limit with this off with this passing offense with him behind center. Well, I, I guess the same question, but this time swap out the last name Trask for Pitts. <laughs> First round tight end, and I, I'm a guy that covers well covered the Jaguars for a while, and you know fan of the Jags as well. Sorry, and sorry, sorry about that, Zach. As a fellow Jags fan, sorry about that. Yeah, but you see, you can understand that they've needed tight end play and tight end upgrades since when? I mean, even though Mercedes was a nice player, like dating back to Kyle Brady, right? Yeah. So as long as I've been doing this, and granted, I am a young guy. I've been scouting the draft and stuff for like five or so years. But every year I'm looking in the first couple of rounds for a tight end that the Jags should draft. The Jaguars should find and really any team that just needs to find a way to modernize their passing offense even if they don't necessarily need a tight end but if they want to get up to the times within their passing offense go and find a way to get kyle pitts in this upcoming draft hey they get they have two first round uh they have two two first round picks this year so uh, imagine justin fields and kyle pitts in that offense or, or, or even trevor lawrence if they get there, you, know, you, they, you won't get the number one overall it. pick, though. I think the Jets have that locked up. Hey, hey, yeah. the, the Jags will always find a way to win two of the last four games that don't mean anything and knock themselves. In the <laughs> they will always find a way to do that. But Jags, yeah, Jags are not. It's I would, as an NFL GM, sell, sell you know a good amount just to go and try and find a way to secure Kyle Pitts. I think he is. I don't like to throw the word generational around and I won't call a generational player. I will call him a generational tight end prospect. I mean, how often can you find a tight end that is maybe not a great blocker, but certainly a willing and solid blocker that runs routes like a receiver that is six, six and can run a jab step like a legitimate route running receiver. It just, you don't find them. They're unicorns as the team likes to, all certain guys. Kyle Pitts is absolutely that. I would argue that he's better at blocking than a lot of people like to give him credit for. I do I think... agree. All right, guys. So it's that time again for all of for all of you loyal listeners. You know exactly what we're, what we're about to do. We call this the verdict. So what we're going to do is we're going to give our keys and our predictions for the Missouri game. So just to break it down, we'll start with Zach. Well, actually, we'll, we'll finish with Zach, actually. Um, I'll go first. I've already said it. I really – my key to the game is the turnover battle. I think it's absolutely vital. Florida does not turn over the ball. And it's also vital that – in both sides of the coin, it's, it's vital that Florida is able to get turnovers from Missouri. It's absolutely putrid that our interception leader is a defensive lineman. Okay, I mean, I love Gervin Dexter. I've been following his. I followed his uh, his recruitment um, since before he even got his uh, fifth star. But come on, we we really need to put the stamp down when it comes to uh, who the Gators are as DBU, and that starts with getting turnovers. On the other side of the ball, obviously, we lost the game in part due to a fumble by Malik Davis. That can't happen. So if the Gators don't turn over the ball and they get turnovers for Missouri, I think the Gators are going to be riding high when it's all said and done. And as far as a score prediction, I'll be quick with this. 
I think Florida's going to win, and I think they're going to win 31-20. to And I'll leave it at that. You give Missouri's uh, offense no credit. Yeah. I, I, that, we have a week two of Dustin Smith hot take. Yeah, just so you know, Zach, last week Dustin said that Florida was put 60 on Wisconsin, and Casey and I, look, both, I, I look, both fought look, him on I that. Was completely, I was completely joking. Were you? Were you? I don't know. I was exaggerating. Look, oh, look that Zach, you're, true. you're – Okay, I'm picking the Gators by 11. Do you want me to add add 10 to each side? Want me to make it 41 to 30? Okay, I'll do that. 41 <laughs> I think it's more realistic if That's you my do. Yeah. 41-30. 41-30. Right. Go Gators. 41-30. That's my pick. Okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> see, see this. Edit. I'm going to start What's calling – you got Debbie Downer Schumann, and I'm going to start calling it Spicy Smith Downer. Debbie Downer. Yo, we, we – I just said just so everyone uh, listening is aware of what's happened, Casey and I have effectively just bullied Dustin in, into changing his score prediction live <laughs> on the air. And, you know, virtual <laughs> high five. Virtual high five. There you go. Casey and I just virtual <laughs> high five for those of you just listening. All right. So, you know, I think our defense is going to be the key, uh, how they come out and how they play against a – a good Missouri offense. I'm not going to call it powerful. I'm not going to call it high flying. I'm going to call it what Zach said earlier, this methodical, you know, time of possession, run it down your throats offense. Um, I'm going to see I, that my key is how the Gators respond to that because we know what Mizzou is going to bring to the table. They are going to run it, run it, run it, run it, run it, throw it, throw it, run it, run it, run it, run it, run it. And that's, that's just what they are. Um, and if they do throw it, it's going to be these little dinks and dunks that Jake Fromm used to do on us when he played for Georgia and it just gashed our defense. So that's, that's going to be my key. I'm going to say Florida 44, Missouri 38. Okay. You're not giving the spread too much credit there, but that, yeah, I, I can see that. I, can I, I see think that. that spread's wrong. I, you know, yeah. I, I think considering the way Mizzou plays Florida that I talked about earlier, considering what I've seen from Mizzou and considering what I've seen from the Florida defense, I think that spread is way off and I give me Mizzou and the points. Okay. We'll find out. Um, yeah. The, real quick. I just, just want to say, I agree with Casey that that spreads awful. And I think it's pretty much easy money. If you take, Missouri with the points. Yep. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So anyway, I'm, I go into a little more detail with Mike Keith and Casey, but essentially, I agree with him. For me, the keys are the fundamentals of defense, the very basics. You know, wrapping up and bringing ball carriers to the ground, setting the edge, not letting guys turn the corner on them, disengaging from and shedding blocks getting your assignments right. Not most of the time, not 10 out of 11 players on a given play for defense, but every player getting his assignment right on every play, whether he looks like an All-American on the play or not, you know, whatever. But get your assignment right. No mix-ups, no busts. Attack the right gap. Be in the right place at the right time, and et cetera. And this extends to the coaching staff too, by the way. I've said this on previous shows, and I think Dustin has too at one point, that Todd Grantham has to adjust his defensive scheme for the rest of this year. He relies too heavily on getting some big-time negative plays or turnovers because, well, I mean, his whole philosophy is being willing to, to give up some yards and points in exchange for some big negative plays. But when he doesn't have those game plan wreckers on his defense and therefore he can't generate the reward end of that high risk, high reward defense, the result 
is going to be exactly what we've seen so far, a bad defense. So if Florida can just get back to basics, start from the ground up, and just do the fundamental things right, and if Todd Grantham can simplify his scheme just a little bit, I think Florida will be fine because the offense shouldn't have any problems scoring. The defense won't look great. It, it probably won't even look very good. But if we even trot out a mediocre defense on Saturday, Florida wins. And I think that's ultimately what happens. I don't think Florida is in a particularly large amount of trouble against Missouri. Their offense is a bit frightening, but I think that as bad as our defense has looked over the first three games, I think their defense is worse. So I think that Florida wins the game because they have the better quarterback. They have the better weapons on offense and they have the, so far, there's no other way for me to put this. They have the least bad defense. So I think Florida wins a shootout 49, 38. And I, I agree that I think Florida will not cover that spread. Zach. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you guys in the same, in the same boat. I think it'll end up being, give me 41 to 30 Florida. So same thing, Florida does not cover. Um, so you agree with Dustin be, now? I like that score. Yeah, because we bullied <laughs> Dustin into Good changing job, his Zach. pick, and now you guys agree exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, hey. I mean, at least I can say that that was what I was closer to coming in with, right around that range. True. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to take the shot. Um, <laughs> I think offensively, you know, come out firing as you can do and you know, score at will as you can do. There shouldn't be problems there. If you can hold them to 30 points, you know, chances are in that sense you've held them to three field goals on drives. And, like, wouldn't that feel a little bit relieving to come out of the game and think, hey, Florida was able to hold them to three field goals in situations where, you know, chances are at this point probably teams are scoring, um, marching down the field and scoring, whether they're controlling the clock or if they're able to come out with some firepower. You know, you like a team's odds to be able to move down the field and get six points. So if – Florida is able to hold them two, three field goals. And, and you know, Missouri consistently, or not consistently, but a lot more often than other teams isn't able to finish. You're going to feel like Florida did take a step in the right direction from a period off, especially with their defense. And as long as, you know, one thing we're going to want to see is the offense coming back out and just being able to show up, you know, push a little dirt off their shoulders. Like it's been nothing to have some time off the past couple of weeks. If they can come back out, look like they've got the same chemistry, be in sync, maybe take a drive or two to get back into it. But as long as they get back into it pretty quickly, then you're not going to have any more worries about that at all for the rest of the season. I don't think. My biggest worry is if we go down by three scores or more, I think that's, that's where I end up. And that's all apologies to, Kenny Loggins, um, that's where we're in the danger zone. <laughs> that we – I, this defense needs to hold up its end of the bargain because Missouri is going to – you know, I think even almost even more important than the score prediction. Let's talk about the time of possession prediction. I mean, I think Missouri is going to hold on to that ball for 32 minutes um, at least. And that's assuming we don't force a turnover, um, we don't have an interception – um, and we don't have a strip sack fumble or anything like that. Well, dude, if we go down three scores, that means our offense is not doing what it's supposed to be doing either. Well, uh, and that that gives us a whole different set of problems. Well, I just it, I've learned it, it, Neil can explain what uh, the Missouri rule is. No, um, it's the Casey rule. It's the Casey rule. You invented it for Missouri. So for those listening, 
But but wait a minute, it's not even in effect now. We beat Missouri last year. Correct, but you cannot assume Missouri is going to be a win. And, okay, but you know, we just can't. You know, this the people are seeing this line and they're getting excited about the uniforms and everything else. But now it's like, okay, we still need to get out there and we still need to execute. All right. So well, the, the Casey rule, the Casey rule is that if Florida has lost twice in a row to an opponent, at least twice in a row to an opponent, you don't pick the Gators to beat them until they actually do it. And that there's a second layer to this. If Florida loses five times in a row to an opponent, you don't pick the Gators to beat them unless they do it twice, like with FSU I think or I, Alabama. I think it's a fair, it's a fair rule. Yeah, I um, think so too. All right, guys, that's about all we've got with this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Zach, thank you so much for coming on and, and being a part of this. Your insight has been incredible. Before we end this thing, how can people – find you, read what you write, and follow you on social. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you guys having me. It's, it's been a great time. If you guys want to find me on Twitter, you can follow me at Zach underscore Goodall. That's spelled correctly with an H. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> okay. if, you, if, you guys, uh, if you guys want to find my written work or my podcasting work, uh, I'm the publisher for Sports Illustrated's allgators.com. We're doing daily content over there on the Florida Gators as well as we've got our own podcast at Locked On Gators. You can find that at Locked On Gators. Uh, if you want to find the website on Twitter, it's at SI underscore all Gators. So make sure to go and throw all of those accounts to follow if you're trying to find my work. Um, I'm bringing it out to you just about every day here because, you know, it's never a dull moment. That's right. That's, uh, that's certainly a true statement. Especially in Gator and, uh, so. And you know we're all ecstatic about the fact that there's a Gator football game coming this weekend. You definitely don't want to miss that. And it's and not if, a noon game. It's, it's yeah. not a noon, it's a noon game. game. Thank God. Yeah, it's a it's a night game. It's gonna be great. I know. I know. I can get I, I can yeah. get sauce like LSU fans. <laughs> you know, there might be only sixteen thousand fans in the stadium, but hey, they might launch. Uh, some fireworks every time the Gators score a touchdown. Let's just hope this night game works against Mizzou works better than the last night game against Mizzou. We need oh. a redemption night game, though. We, yes. we can't think night. Yes. We can't think last time. We got a new coach, new era, new quarterback. Can't think that, that way. That game imprinted on my soul. Can't think that way. Get rid of it, man. Toss it in the garbage. It's over. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all we've got for y'all today on this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We're still pretty young, and we'd really appreciate that as we continue to expand our brand. And, of course, a special shout-out goes to our guest, Zach Goodall. It's always great to get different perspectives on the Gators, and we really enjoyed your input today. So, Zach, thanks again for coming on today. Yeah, without a doubt. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. We loved your insight, and we – figure our listeners will too. And speaking of our listeners, we hope y'all continue to stay safe and stay healthy. And of course, as always, go Gators.